Last doing episode 83. Ari talks with Ty Lopez about reading a book per day, the myth of the four hour work week, and drinking raw milk with the Amish. Uh, <clears throat> hey everybody, welcome back and thanks for listening in. So yeah, today I got to interview Ty Lopez, which was really cool. It was a, a longer interview than than I normally do and I, and I knew that it would be going into it because Ty has a lot to say. He's had a lot of really interesting uh, different lives in a way and um, he's an investor. He's, he's just a really, really interesting guy and he's got some some pretty cool stories. So I was very excited to talk to him. How are you doing today, Felix? Yeah, not so bad. How about yourself? <laughs> doing well, doing well. Um, so why don't we start off with the review? Yeah, let's start with the review. Okay. Um, this review is by Joey Coleman, and its title is Read It Today and At Least Once Every Six Months. Awesome. This review is from Less Doing, More Living. Make everything in easier, everything in life easier. Ari's book is a fantastic guide to tips and tricks for making your life more efficient and automated. As if that wasn't enough, the real value is in his philosophy for leading a more intentional, fulfilled life. This is a fantastic resource for anyone searching for ways to find more time, more freedom, and more success in their life. Read it today, and then reread it at least once every six months to continue to hone your systems. Awesome. Yeah, Joey, thank you so much. And I actually know who that is. I met Joey at the, the Mastermind Talks in uh, Toronto. There's been so much things that have come out of that, which is great. And, and Joey's a really awesome speaker and a really interesting oh, cool. guy. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Joey. And, you know, it's yeah, a good point, you. actually. It's a good point that he made, which I, I want to make, too, is that productivity and wellness also, and, and actually just optimization in general, is something where you're never done. You know, you're never done optimizing. And that doesn't mean that you have to be obsessive about it and always be thinking about it. But the truth is, is that you always can make things more optimal in one way or another. So uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to look at that as a process. And, and my, like, for instance, my version of spring cleaning is to go through my list of processes and my manual of you and see how many things I can now do without people, for instance, you know. And so it's a good thing to revisit and, and, and always be working on. Um, so yeah. there's, a, there's a few different cool things I wanted to mention today. One of them is this, this, uh, it's, it's not Kickstarter, but it's a, a pre-launch campaign called Sproutling and it is a baby monitor. So not very exciting. Yeah, on the this basement. looks good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's really cool. Uh, and the reason it's cool, there's, there's a few others that do this and this, this one straps on the baby's ankle and it monitors them in real time. And there's been a few others like this, but this is the first one that actually has prediction built into it, which I think is so cool. And I'm a little curious how they do it, but basically it can predict when the baby will wake up. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and I mean, so, okay, it does the basics up. It gets heart rate, skin temperature, motion, position, all that stuff. And it can communicate with the app on your phone and let you know that. But it, I guess it, it bases it on patterns or maybe it's, it's similar to the way that, uh, sleep tracking devices will sense, you know, that you're in light sleep or, or heavy sleep, but it basically can predict to the minute when the baby will wake up. And 
there's obviously a number of uses for this in the video on the website, which is really good. They basically use it to decide if the couple's going to have sex or not. Um, so, uh, but, but it's a pretty cool thing. Like, you know, cause I, I know every parent has that experience where you're like, Oh, I'm just going to close my eyes for like, you know, like you finally like clean the house or you, you know, you get some email done, whatever. And you're like, I'm just going to close my eyes for five minutes. And you literally close your eyes for a second. And that's when the baby wakes up. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is really cool. Um, it's I mean, for pre- it, I mean, I take it it has, you know, the, um, does it have an alarm if the, you know, the heart, you know, yes, a, yes. A sit, it sits alert, I guess it's probably. Yeah, basically. So, um, I mean, just f- for me, just to have that and the way that it attaches around the baby's ankle is, um, in a sort of non-invasive way is just, it's fantastic. I would have loved to have had that with these, with, you know, my two kids and, because we had one that like would clip onto the diaper, you know, which, which seems great and really easy to use, but we never actually used it. And you know, it wasn't expensive or anything, but this just seems so easy and, um, and sort of non-invasive and I can't see how it would bother the baby. Um, I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a real, a real like boon for technology, honestly, because like we had do, one. Do you know how much they? How much does it cost at all? Um, yeah, Let's so it it is uh, uh, pre order is two hundred and fifty nine bucks. Okay, which is not I, which I, is not cheap, but it's, it's not I cheap. Mean, but it's one of those for, things. If you can afford it, you have to get it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah. and the thing is, it's not only like about paranoia. Like this really does provide some real peace of mind and and. Um, you know, even maybe some planning. Plus, if you're just like into self-tracking and tracking stuff in general, it's kind of cool. Like, for instance, one of my sons, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this, Felix, but Lucas, uh, one of my twins for everyone, uh, Lucas tends to run warm. Um, and he, uh, he has a hot, he just has a high metabolism. He's sort of a skinny kid and he just, he does, he runs a little warm and not a fever, but like 99.4. So it's normal for him. But when you touch oh, him, really? wow. yeah, oh, yeah. So you never, Claire's noticed that before. So when you, when you touch him, he does feel kind of warm and it's a surprise yeah. for some people. So this, this kind of tracking actually would be very useful for something like that, where you can know if it's really a fever yeah. or if it's just sort of, you know, within the norm. Yeah. Are you going to get one of these? I mean, I know they're, they're like 18 months now. But yeah, no, no. It's a little late for that. <laughs> yeah. I think... Uh, no, I just I was wondering if it would be an interesting... If it would like be able to tell uh, tell you when they're going to wake up. Yeah, that would be kind of cool, except that I feel like my... At this point, the twins would probably like tear it off and destroy it, so... Oh, yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, at this point, I kind of know when know when they're going to wake up yeah anyway sorry yeah. i'm like i'm like delaying us here i'm no, like not going on and on about this so uh, so let's move on okay yeah. so the, the next one is a, a brand new website that came out called monitor book and it's so simple but it's 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 pretty important thing basically what this does is you can track anything on the web and it's so intuitive the way this works all you do is you get a little book like, like like prices of things is like no no no, no. Any not te- just that. any text on any website Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and, and it's really intuitive because basically you go to the website, you click the bookmarklet, and then you can just click on the element on the page and it highlights it very, very, in a very cool way. So, for instance, the first thing that I set up for this was for Amazon reviews because there's no good Amazon review trackers. So, all I did was okay. go to the page for the book and I click on the number yeah. of reviews. So, now if that changes, I immediately get, a result, get uh, an alert. Oh wow, There's, that's great! Yeah, it's really really cool. So you could track 
um, you know, changes in names or changes in numbers or changes uh, in, in, in images, anything you want. You can just track it throughout the web, and it's very, very easy to use. I really, I really like this thing. Um, wow. Yeah. So the, the next thing is there's a, an app uh, and, and a web service called Shake. And I, I, was, I came across this because I was looking for templated uh, business agreements. I, I can't remember why, actually. But basically, the way this works is it's an app, and you can, like in a minute, you can create a, a legally binding agreement that you can then sign, either in person on the device or by email. And they're... Now, and they're this, this looks really cool. I thought this looked really interesting. Does it create the... The agreement for you does it have a bunch of standard templates, or do you create the the? Do you send over an agreement you already have, and it takes care of that? No, this actually creates a unique agreement each time um, with with like the bare minimum of information, basically. So okay. uh, wow. you know, it, it can do like a, an agreement for renting or lending or selling or a. Uh, uh, freelancing contract, for instance, and you're just going to put in basically like who it's for, what the terms are, what the price is. It puts it all together, and then it's you can sign it, and it's legally binding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I, yeah, I really, I really like this because there's other services. Obviously, let you sign documents online, like HelloSign and DocuSign. We've talked about those before, but this yeah. actually lets you create the. It's no, that looks amazing. There's like an iPhone app and everything for it. Yeah, so you can yeah, sign, it, you really can sign it in person or actually. On the web, yeah, and half the time, just trying to make this kind of thing easy for people is the uh, is one of the biggest hurdles. Absolutely, because the last yeah. thing someone wants to do is, is is you write a contract and then someone just lets it sit because they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, exactly, and they're so awkward and just simplify. You know, it's just awkward just by definition. You know, you get into a, you know, you you you're about to do some business together with someone, some nice person you just met and you have to bring up, you know, agreements. And, um, and I think this would just facilitate that and make it so easy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so then there's just a couple more. So there's uh, a very basic <coughs> thing. It's called relaxed and it's an auto reply for social media. So, most people, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you should know that autoresponders uh, to, to, in various forms are, are pretty helpful for productivity. But there aren't really, I mean, pretty much there, there are only like a couple that exist for social media. So Relax can actually set up an auto-reply for your Facebook and Twitter so that if somebody sends you a message, they get an automatic message back. And this is really useful because you can tell someone like, oh, if you're, you know, you can contact me at this site for this kind of information. Or you can use an autoresponder if you're on vacation uh, and you don't want to have to deal with hundreds of social media stuff when you come back. So you can tell people even there if it's urgent. And there's some people who do yeah. a lot of communicating through Twitter. Right. So you can use that to say, uh, you know, I, I'm on vacation. Like if you need to get a hold of me, use this. Or, uh, hey, check out my new book. And, you know, you can use it for advertising. It's, yeah, it's actually very cool. Really yeah. cool thing. Um, so really basic service, but it's, it's something worth mentioning because it's, it's one of those areas where it's actually really helpful. Are there, are there any other kinds of uh, auto reply things for things like Twitter that you've, you, you've used before? I've never used any. I, I, I tried this one out and I like it. Um, I only found one other service actually that does something like this, but it, uh, it's, it's basically only for like vacation mode. So it doesn't really give you a lot of options. So this is, this is the only one I saw that's like this and it's really cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so the, the next two, before I have this little announcement, the next two are, first of all, I love when you go to a, to a website for a service and the entire page is the sales video. 
Uh, I think it's just very cool when they do that. So these two services. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. These two services I, are Rocketboard and Acorns. So, uh, Rocket, oh, yeah, I, I'm extremely excited about both of these. Really? Okay, yeah. Cool. Oh, so yeah. Rocketboard is badass. I gotta <laughs> yeah. say, like, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, Sorry, the, basically, what Rocketboard does. No, no, no. So what Rocketboard does is you you can use a, a whiteboard in person, and what you do is you open up the app on your iPhone and you put the phone on the table so that it can see the whiteboard, and then you draw these little triangles in each corner, and the app not only identifies the board, but it can correct for perspective, so you don't have to have it right in front of the board; it can be off to the side, and then in real time you can share what you're writing on the board. And if you step in front of the board, it won't show you. It'll automatically remove you. And as soon as you step out of the way, it will update what you've just drawn with the colors and everything. And I yeah. mean, this is amazing. It is. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, it's one of those things that I have absolutely no use for, unfortunately, that I can think of. But it makes me just want to try it just because it looks so unbelievably clever. Well, it's like one of the, right, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, I, I want to buy a whiteboard and start doing this now just because it's so cool. Yes. <laughs> um, and then like to, 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 capture, to capture the image on the board, you just put your hand in front of the camera and it automatically takes a picture of the board. Yeah, I mean, and it can like, save it and upload it to, uh, yeah, it's very clever. It's upload so it to like, cool. Pinterest or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, whiteboarding, I think, is a really amazing thing for planning and for mind mapping and stuff. And if you can do this kind of thing where you're sharing it in real time, this is just so cool. So uh, it's not, yeah. it's, you, you can sign up for early access now. It's not available yet, but definitely get on board with this because it's uh, it's amazing. And then the last one, did you look at Acorns? Um, I did look at Acorns. Yeah, which one is that? I think that's the, Wait, the one on. that invests spare change, basically. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Very excited about this. Yes. Okay, so this is this is pretty fascinating to me. So basically, it, it takes spare change from your everyday purchases. You know, so if you buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks for like seven bucks and forty five cents, then it'll take the fifty five cents that would round up and invest that. And the investing is it's sort of, it's automated portfolio management. So it's putting it into different stocks and bonds, basically depending on what your your risk profile is. You know, from aggressive to conservative to moderate, and it'll show you how it's done and. Uh, what the investments are made in. And this is one of those things where a couple quarters a day could actually add up to something at the end of the year. And, you know, you could have a thousand, a couple thousand dollars in something that might make a, a real difference. So, it, but again, this is one of those things where it's like you really don't have to think about it and it's going to make you money. So I think this yeah. is pretty amazing. Or, or lose you money, but it's only change. <laughs> right. That's a, you're right. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. No, but, but you know what? It. That's actually I'm true. I'm going to sign up for this thing because I think it would be really cool. And I want to sign up and do a pretty high risk, you know, high risk portfolio with it. All right. Get risky. Yeah. <laughs> well, for, you know, for pocket change, why not? And then if you make a ton, then you could always move it to something, um, something smaller. I mean, Absolutely. something less risky and then continue Absolutely. with the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so actually, I meant to ask you, have you tried the uh, Cognity yet? I haven't. No, I confess, okay. I have not. Um, I just, um, I just haven't. <laughs> That's okay. I've, I've been having it almost every day, and what I like about it is that uh, because it's got L-theanine in it, which is the uh, one of the active compounds in green tea. L-theanine is energizing, but it's not energizing the way caffeine is. Basically, what it does is it increases blood flow, so it makes it so you can have more energy, basically, because you're getting more blood flow. So uh, it's great because you can have it in the afternoon or even in the evening without it affecting sleep. 
So oh, um, I've been enjoying it, actually. I have it in the afternoon a lot now. And uh, I don't know necessarily that it's giving me a cognitive boost because I haven't done really good testing on that. But it does feel, I, I definitely feel it, and it feels good. So I'm um, really excited about the, the, the samples that those the people over at Cognity sent me. So, yeah, you'll have to try it out soon. I will. You bet. Yeah, I'll go make one now. Um, and then, and then the last thing that I want to mention. This is I'm very excited about this. So, I am I, I'm doing a pre-launch, a beta test of a less doing bootcamp program. So, for everybody listening, the way that this will work is I, I have my mastermind group now that I run, which I've talked about before, and uh, you know, I'd still love to have people join that if they're interested. But this is a, a, an intermediate step, and basically, the way that this is going to work is that it's an eight week program that I'm going to do every eight weeks and there's a limited number of people that can get in and you, you can, you can, you have to start together. And basically every week I'm going to do a one hour group call for those eight weeks. And in each of those group calls, we're going to cover the fundamentals of less doing. So there's nine fundamentals. So two of them are going to be combined into one session, but basically I'm just going to teach uh, each fundamental, and then there's going to be some time in those calls for some question and answer specific to, you know, your needs, your understandings about it. And then there's also going to be a Facebook group just for this group of people, so you can ask questions there. And everybody who joins the boot camp, whether it's now or in eight months, will be added to the same Facebook group because true mastery comes from teaching. Uh, and my friend Elon over at Satori Prime and the uh, the Performance Enhancing Podcast actually said that, which I, I really agree with. So by interacting with people who've taken the course before and people who are just being experiencing and having questions, there's there's a lot that can be gained from that. So this is almost like a mini mastermind format, and it'll really take you through the fundamentals, really increase your productivity, and get you on the path to optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything in your life. Now, this is going to be a $2,000 program when it launches but right now in the pre-launch it's i'm offering it to people who sign up for it now for 997 dollars. so this is an eight week program you will absolutely increase your productivity by a factor of 10x at least and we have a link in the show notes where you can go and you can fill out a form and give us some information and then we'll probably start this first group the first week of october so uh, if you're interested in sort of taking it to the next level, but you're not quite you know, up for the, master, the full-on mastermind, you really want to get the fundamentals down, this is the program for you. And I'm really excited to test this out. So Awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I think that's, uh, that's all we got this week, unless you have something, Felix. Um, I... Oh, wait. Let's talk about the toy mail. The toy mail. Yes. Yes. Um... <clears throat> Yes, it's um, Julian is loving the toy mail. That's my eldest well, son. Tell, tell people, tell people what it is. <laughs> well, so what it is is this little, uh, it's this little box. It's about the sort of size of your hand, and it's a little, a little mailbox. And what you can do is there's. Um, Ari gave my um, my elder son, who's four, um, the toy mailbox for his birthday, and what you then you. Um, so, and what you can do is you can send a message to the box and Julian can listen to the message and send it back and reply. So Ari can send a message to the, to the box and Julian listens to it and then presses a button and records a reply. Um, and that's the, the essence of it. And, but you can also invite other people. Um, so I'm going to invite my, my father, Julian's grandfather. And, um, 
and they can send messages back and forth to one another. It's and it's 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 hilarious. It's absolutely. Um, and he really likes he really likes doing it. He's still getting a bit of a hand of uh, trying to get the hang of um, how the recording process works because he's pretty young, you know. But um, but it won't be long. You may well, have gotten no, quite I, a, quite a few uh, drawn out messages. Is that right? Yeah, but uh, you know what? I got some really sweet ones. You know, he was telling me how he loves me and you know, yeah. thank you and stuff. And so it's really sweet. And then I can send it back. But I just think you know for. For uh, if if you have family across the world or across the country, or you just have you know, I, I mean, just I, I just think it's really cool, and I love that you can do these little voice messages. I also like yeah, I don't know if you I saw this, but when you when you record the message to to the child, um, you can have it be in your voice or like a little robot voice or like a little animal voice. Yes, it so, will pitch it up into it. Uh, it's just cool. yeah, right. really cool thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, everyone, thanks for listening in, and. Uh, We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Um, everyone, see you next week. Thanks a lot. Now speaking with Ty Lopez, who is an investor, entrepreneur, uh, very, very interesting guy. And I'm just really excited to have this conversation. So Ty, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. So the first thing I want to actually talk to you about is the book a day thing. So you read a book a day and you write about it. And I, I mean, I've seen pictures on your blog where you've, you've bought like 28 books at a time. And I mean, you really read a book a day. I do. I know. I'm, uh, I once went, not too long ago, I went a couple of years ago, I went to a Barnes and Noble and uh, I bought $900 worth of books and the girl at the front to check the, the uh, cashier goes, I've never seen anybody buy this many books and I've been working here for five or 10 years or something. So I said, well, I'm glad I'm keeping bookstores in business. Although I don't always, I do love bookstores, but uh, I buy a lot on Amazon. I think I spent $32,000 last year on Amazon, not all in books, but, but the majority on books. I like old school books. I don't read too much of, you know, Kindles and stuff, but occasionally. And so, I mean, and, and how do you choose the books that you're going to read? Well, that's a good question. So here's the deal. Uh, you know, I talk about this concept of static interference. So one of the problems in the modern world, um, if you look at the famous uh, anthropologist Robin Dunbar, who came up with this concept of Dunbar's number, you know, the wiring of our brain is really only evolved and adapted to be able to handle a certain amount of noise. And around 150 people whispering into your ear as you grew, you know, we're all from the sub-Saharan African savanna. And there you lived in little villages for that's 10,000 plus generations of human uh, uh, existence has been in that kind of environment. But now you fast forward to the modern world where there's 130 million published books, I think in history, even possibly more, you've got everybody calling themselves an expert, the real, you know, you hit it on the head. The question is, how do you narrow this thing down? And, and I've got a couple, uh, I've got a methodology. I mean, for the most part, uh, life's like a poker game. So you double down on a hand, even though you could lose. So the strategy I use is not always perfect. It's not perfect. There is no such thing as this black and white. I call that the 500 year old archaic mind of thinking you're going to be exactly right. But my hunch is the best way to pick a book is by an author who has uh, track record, who has tremendous amount of impact on the world. Um, so for example, let's say you're in business, you know, I just spoke at a 
did a keynote speech at the London Business School. So it's the number two business school after Harvard. It goes Harvard, LBS, and then uh, I think Stanford or some Wharton or something. So I was speaking there to on the Entrepreneur Conference in London. And I said, you know, how many people here I've read and I forget what book I brought up and every hand went up. I said, how many people here have read Sam Walton's book, Made in America? And uh, it's a $5 book that he wrote um, on his way to, well, it was actually on his deathbed. And one person raised their hand. I did this at a conference actually last week, 700 people downtown in the convention center here in LA. Again, I brought up some book like, I don't know, Lean Start. I don't know, some popular business book you'll see on the front page of Amazon. And I said, how many people here read Sam Walton's book, Made in America? It's $5. One person again, literally. And so I said, now let's get this straight. Which hand of poker would you bet on in terms of which uh, piece of advice or body of knowledge would you want downloaded into your brain? One is from a professor. I think it was a book written by a professor or a book written by somebody who made a million bucks or Sam Walton who made $160 billion net worth. Put that in perspective, that's $160,000 million he made personally and built Walmart into a company that is, uh, you know, I think a $400 billion revenue company and may become one of the first trillion dollar companies. I said, why would you prioritize your reading if you're, and this is assuming you want to know how to grow a business. Why would you read some fancy book that's been marketed to you over that book? And the real answer is we're all deceived by the noises, marketing. You know, you walk into Barnes and Noble, doesn't mean you have to buy, just because they're trying to push a book on you, doesn't mean you have to buy it, but people do. And we're all susceptible at some level to this consumer uh, consciousness, which really is not in our best interest. So the long-winded answer (laughs) is that you must be logical, systematic, and just use common sense on what you're going to read. Read a book by, you know, Charles Darwin before you read a book by some pop culture person. Read Freud, read Aristotle, read Socrates, read Mahatma Gandhi. I just read Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography. Read, you know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s story. Read, read these people with impact first, even though some dude down the street who wrote a book might have a good book. Which hand are you going to bet on? A pair of twos or four aces? You know, I'm going to try to bet on four aces. You'll occasionally lose, but not very often. Yeah, it's it's funny that you actually mentioned the Made in America because I've read that and uh, I went to to I actually did go to Wharton undergrad and I remember I did it while I was there I read um, Made in America and also um, uh, Ray, Grinding It Out Ray Kroc's yep. book the two of those I remember thinking like these are such old school guys but it was really interesting information while people were, were yeah totally like getting into all the statistical uh, you know like the outlier kind of stuff and that was you're right you know the, there's there's a lot of foundation there absolutely and, and, and to me it's more than just foundational it's like this is the the, again if life is a bunch of bets that you make right life is very much like poker uh or or a game of chance like backgammon there's an element of fate which is the roll of the dice or the deal of the deck you know the hand you're dealt and then it's the skill that you play within the constraints of that randomness and so who wins at poker right? Who wins at backgammon? In the long run, 
the person who applies skill to the randomness of life. And so most of us, um, we can't handle, we, we, it's like Freud says, you know, life is too painful. We come up with three things to cover over the pain of life. We're inconsolable. So we use, uh, diversions, diversionary dynamics. We use, uh, substitutive effects and we use intoxications. And the, the, pretty much the whole of human existence in the modern world, when you look at um, what people are doing, the masses of people are doing in a consumer-driven society is those three things. There's, no, there's nothing of real impact being happening much. It's mostly billions of people doing diversionary things, substitutive things, or intoxicants. But, you know, I, for me and the people that I talk to, I'm like, listen, guys. If you want to be different, right? I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm not an elitist. I'm not saying this way is superior. I'm just saying it's different. Like the old saying goes, you know, I think it's frost. Two pa- two roads diverge in the woods and I take the one less tra- the one less traveled and it's made all the difference. Well, that's that's what I'm speaking of. So if you want something different and you don't want to be that like the masses, you're going to have to rewire your brain to not be driven by those same forces, which in many ways are advertising. There's, you know, 25 cognitive biases that affect us all. I call that an evolutionary mismatch. Our brain is wired for a different environment. In what, you know, I know you talk a lot about health and Iron Man. It's, it's that same principle uh, there in that, you know, we didn't evolve to have pizza all day. We didn't evolve to have sugar at the level. I think you're supposed to have like 20, 30 grams of sugar. One bottle of Sprite is giving people in the modern world 70 grams or 60 grams of sugar. So everything, it's not that sugar per se is bad. Dr. David Buss, who's a friend of mine, uh, in his book, Evolutionary Psychology, his textbook says, in every people groups group in the world, honey is the number one most sought after food because we're wired to want honey. Yet, in a modern evolutionary mismatch, an environment where honey high fructose corn syrup, sugar cane, uh, sugar cane, by the way, is the number one crop agriculturally in the world. When that is so abundant, it's not the thing in and of itself being good or bad, but it's this environmental mismatch that ends us. We end up with the outcome we don't want, which is obesity, early death, diabetes, and so on. So it's the same thing, whether you're talking business or you're talking uh, food, health, we have to, you have to have the ability to rise above your natural inclinations. The answers are not within, the answers are without. So the reason I read a book a day is just imagine what your life would be like if you could download the wisdom, knowledge, experience, consciousness of the world's smartest people, the world's most impactful people into your brain. What, what do you think would happen to your bank account? What do you think would happen to your body fat? What do you think would happen to, uh, your love life, your, your friendship, your social circles, your happiness. You know, I, t- I talk about the good life. This is the good life. It's not one thing. It's a conglomeration of things, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm about. Well, and, and okay. And so, I mean, like in, in, in the thing you just said, you basically, you quoted like five different sources. So, I mean, you're obviously retaining a lot of this stuff. And so, you are you, you're not... You're clearly not speed reading, right? I mean, you're really you're really uh, delving you know, into this people stuff. People ask me that. I, I say, well, let me put it to, in this analogy. Not too long ago, I did a party. I do pretty some of the biggest parties in Hollywood. 
uh, at my house, my house here. And, uh, I live in the Hills and, uh, I did a party, 550 people came to my house. And I, so I have a security guy, you know, some security guys at the door and I have, uh, one of Kim Kardashian's ex bodyguards and he's a massive guy. He's six foot six, 305 pounds. And he's not fat. He has 22 inch biceps, which by, you know, put that in context, Arnold Schwarzenegger had about 22, 23 inch biceps. And his name, his name is Rome. And I was like, Rome, we were talking just the other month. And I said, how much do you bench press? And now he's a little older in his early forties said, oh man, at my peak, I used to bench about 550. Now I can only bench about 480. <laughs> now, if you know anything about bench pressing, that's a lot. Of, when you bench 550, the bar is bending. Oh, yeah. But how many pounds do you think he started benching? He started benching 100 pounds. <laughs> he started benching the bar. So when it comes to reading, and this comes back, another thing that comes back to my initial premise here that we're driven by forces that don't have our best interests at heart at heart the reason people never get to the place of reading a book a day is because people assume it's a trick it's i call it the sculpture versus the lottery ticket people want to be wealthy through a lottery ticket when if you study the patterns of wealth it's through taking a piece of rock and sculpting it down and each day going to bed with that piece of rock a little bit more sculpted down in the same way if you apply this principle of something simple like reading it's not a matter of whether I speed read or not I mean in some sense of course I speed read because I'm reading faster than almost anybody that I know I don't know if I'm I'm don't think I'm the fastest person in the reader there's some in the world there's some people who have these rain man kind of thing but I'm one of the faster readers in the world but it's not because I'm necessarily so smart or so special it's because I started with a hundred pound weight and I got to 101 and 102. And that if you take the rock of your life, every area, you see it as a sculpture, you chip away, you know, Peter F. Drucker, the great business professor, he said 18 month time frame. So people listening to this, my advice is over 18 months, go from where you are now in terms of your, your reading capacity and uh, velocity and, and increase it over 18 months. And once that 18 months is done, do it again. And the next thing you know, you're like Rome, you're benching 550 pounds. Like Charlie Monger, the self-made billionaire says, step by step, you get ahead, but not necessarily in fast spurts. People want fast spurts, but I don't have, I, I'm not a get rich quick person and I'm not a re, you know, learn how to be a beast with books. It came over many years and a lot of time. And so just start wherever you are. And I bet you, if you do this in a week, You'll be, or in a, you know, in a month, you'll be a little better than you are today. You might not even know. It's the same with the body. People, I meet people, you know, my dad was a professional bodybuilder. He was one of the first bodybuilders in the world. He was Mr. New York, Mr. Canada, Mr. Junior USA. He had the world record bench press. And I grew up around people that were very fit. And um, again, my dad started at 14, you know, he wasn't doing world record level bench press till it was like 29 you're talking 15 years warren buffett was the richest man in the world for many years he started at age seven reading uh uh benjamin graham's book on the valuation of bonds and securities at seven by the time warren buffett was 12 he could say that he that the library system said you've read every single book in the omaha state uh, uh the omaha 
county or whatever, Nebraska uh, library system. There's nothing left on the subject of finance. You've read them all twice. But it wasn't until he was 57 that he was the uh, billionaire. Bill Gates started at 12, until he was 31, he was a billionaire. The pattern there is that there's these long periods of time. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell talked about this thing of 10,000 hours. I'm not sure that's the best way to think about it. It's good for pop culture, but there's another concept that I think is a little more accurate, which is the 10 dark years. You generally have Bill Gates said from age 20 to age 30, I never took a day off, not even one. And, uh, and that's a 10 dark years. Pablo Picasso had 10 dark years where you don't really see his art. Although he was doing art, it wasn't the art that we remember him for. But most people don't have the heart. They don't have the character. And more importantly, it's not even that. They don't have the framework given them through education that this is the norm. Once you think it's the norm, because the news, it's media bias, man. The media shows you and I images of people once they succeed. They're not showing you Bill Gates when he's 21. They didn't follow him around with a camera before he was a billionaire and show when he was, you know, not even taking a shower for a week at a time or whatever, working in a cubicle, writing software. They only show you the 45-year-old Bill Gates that has an 85-bedroom house or whatever, right? So media is many ways, which is why, I, you know, the business I'm in now is much more interested in investing in the media because the media controls what we see with our eyes and our eyes controls the inputs into our brain and the brain then absorbs all this and dictates your behavior. So when it comes to books, it's the same advice I give people when it comes to making money. It's the same advice I give them when it comes to changing their body or changing their love life. You know, I'm an investor in one of the largest networks of dating sites in the world. I've seen, you know, about 1.5 million people join. I've seen this. It's the same principles, happiness. I was just talking to the guy who wrote happiness hypothesis and did three Ted talks, the NYU professor, uh, Jonathan Haidt on happiness. It's the same thing. You don't pursue happiness fulfillment per se through a set of sculpture like activities. You sculpt your life down and then eventually the outcome is hopefully what you want. <laughs> hopefully. That's, I mean, that's really very insightful. Um, so I, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your history a little bit and you know the 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 joel salas and stuff is really interesting to me and i, I want to touch on that but the amish stuff was sort of mind-blowing so you were i guess joel, joel salatin's first mentee <laughs> yes i was the first he did when i was still in high school uh joel salatin uh my family my stepdad and mom had bought that book uh one of joel's first book called pastured poultry uh, profits and uh, we went up there because we had a little farm in North Carolina. We wanted to learn how to raise chickens. And when I was up there, uh, Joel called when I drove home or where our family went home and said, hey, I'm going to start an apprenticeship program. Does Ty want to be the first apprentice in the program? And I just graduated high school and I was like, I don't know. I was like, uh, should I go to college? Uh, and my my stepdad and some other people were like, oh, you can always go to college later. So I went there and, and what ended up, it was supposed to be a three or six month in, uh, apprenticeship. And I ended up living there for two and a half years. And uh, Joel and I are still close. He was just at my house here in Hollywood. We're working on various things all the time, business ideas. And I'm looking to do some stuff back with, uh, I mean, I, I've done real estate, but 
specifically with buying land and stuff like that. So lots of exciting stuff. But yeah, Joel was learned many things. I mean, you know, in some way, Joel's like a second father to me. And when I look back on the things that I learned, I learned many things in terms of, for example, you know, mentors. He was a mentor. From there, through him, I met some other mentors, went on. Had, I've had five people that I consider mentors and 12 business partners. All these people contribute. No one's really self-made even remotely. So, you know, I, I, I think 90% of my success in things has come from people like that. Humans learn through osmosis. But yeah, Joel's a fascinating guy. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, and I don't want to do him any injustice. I just, <clears throat> I really want to talk about the Amish experience. I mean, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. So let me keep going. So Joel Salatin. So I was his first, because it's all there. It's a kind of a tied together story. That's yeah. So then while I was at Joel, he has literally, oh, I don't know, 300 people a day on average come visit his farm. So while I was there, uh, oftentimes some different Amish people who I'd never, I was born in Los Angeles. And so from the inner city, not necessarily understanding, I don't even know who Amish were, but I got to know this interesting group of people. I, I left the farm at Joel's, went back North Carolina. And there was just a time in my life when I, I felt like I felt, you know, I was early twenties. I felt like the modern world was insane. My family was unstable. I felt all, you know, all these crazy kind of feelings pulling me in different directions. And so what I, I picked up this book called um, uh, Amish Society by Hofstetler. It's a pretty interesting book if you want to know about the Amish. I think he's a Yale professor now, but he grew up around the Amish or was formerly Amish. And I was like, you know what? I think this is the answer. These Amish people, I saw them. They had these families. There was a level of peace there and, and, and fulfillment. And um, so I went, same thing. I went and visited some for uh, different communities. They live in these kind of church districts. I mean, the Amish people, they're not Mormons. Sometimes people confuse them with Mormons, but the, they're basically just Christians, very conservative Christians. They're not that much different in terms of, they're actually almost zero different than a regular Christian church anywhere in America, um, except they obviously believe that there's some lifestyle differences and they're not even judgmental. So I, I went in there, not many people from the outside ever go. They speak a different language, Pennsylvania, Dutch, it's German. And I was in there talking. I mean, I was in there for a while and ended up being there for two and a half years. I went to a couple of different communities, found one in Virginia that I really liked. And uh, yeah, so that was cool. Well, no, but so, to, I, I mean, that's... And I mean, yeah, we can keep talking about what, what's the, uh, have you been around Amish before? I, I visited Lancaster County. I mean, I, I, that's, that's been the extent of it. Yeah, I went to, uh, I went there first, bird in hand. But the Amish, I mean, tremendous, uh, tremendous lessons from the Amish. In fact, in many ways, if I look back on my life, the happiest, most fulfilled time in my life, for sure. The Amish have incredibly, uh, the system they're in is probably the best I've ever seen for accomplishing the goals that most people want, which is good family, good outlook on life, self-fulfillment. Uh, you know, they work, most of them are related to either do carpentry or agriculture, family oriented. They 
mastered the whole community system, which is very hard for most people to do. Um, yeah, they've just done so much right. It's beyond belief. It's very hard to explain. I, I really should do a podcast just on on the Amish sometime because there's the insights that the Amish have um, are really, whether you're a parent, whether you're an entrepreneur, um, whether you just want to live a, a life where you have a lot. That's where, for example, you know, you were asking me about the four hour work week, right? And uh, I was talking to Tim Ferriss on Twitter not too long ago. And, and I think Tim Ferriss is a genius person in many ways. Um, and, but I think there's a flaw in that system by a large one. And you see this at, you know, the Amish, I was actually reading an interesting book, uh, Jeff Bezos book. I think it's called the everything store. It's a biography about Bezos. And there's a great chapter in there. Let me see if I can find it here. I keep these on my phone. I collect quotes and uh, Bezos was, had been in a meeting and one of the people in the meeting that worked for him at Amazon was complaining that there wasn't enough work life balance, so to speak. And uh, so Bezos wrote, uh, stood up and said, here we go. It's not, uh, blah, 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 blah. Where is this here? During one memorable meeting, uh, an employee asked about this work-life balance. Anyway, uh, when Amazon was going to establish a better work-life balance and Bezos had said, he didn't take that well. The reason we are here... The reason we are here is to get stuff done. That is the top priority. That is the DNA of Amazon. If you can't excel and put everything into it, this might not be the place for you. This is a man who made $38 billion, but the Amish are not as money driven, but the same thing. The Amish believe the reason we are here is to get stuff done. So the very concept that the reason we are here is to eliminate things, right? Is to just get to a place where all we have to do is relax and go salsa dancing and travel around the world, <laughs> do nothing is so antithetical to their worldview that they probably wouldn't. You want to hear something funny? By the way, I talk about this and people write me. I'm going to, um, is a mind blowingly hilarious concept here. Let me, let me pull up this quote a friend sent to me. Um, <clears throat> it is written by Thomas Edison in the late mid 1800s or late 1800s, said, I was wondering what would have happened to me if some fluent talker had converted me to the theory of the eight-hour day and convinced me that it was not fair to my fellow workers to put forth my best efforts in my work. I'm glad that the eight-hour day had not been invented when I was a young man. If my life had been made up of eight-hour days, I don't believe I could have accomplished a great deal. This country would not amount to as much as it has if the young men of 50 years ago had not been afraid that they might earn more than they were paid for. So he was freaked out about eight hour a day work and we progressed or digress regressed to a place as a society where, and this is not to blame, like I said, one person because people buy it. So if you're buying it, you're as guilty as the person writing the concept, right? It's good marketing, but it's antithetical and again, I don't believe in right or wrong about most things. I think most of that is the archaic 500-year-old mind. I mean, I do believe there are some probably some absolute right or wrong. You shouldn't kill puppies and stuff like that. But in general, it's not that the four-hour work week is 
right or wrong and working a lot is right or wrong. Like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk talks about working hundred hours and when everyone else works 30 or 40 hours and you'll accomplish things in three months that takes people years. So I, I think that it just gives you a different outcome. And one thing I saw at the Amish and it's been confirmed, I was talking to a, uh, I was reading uh, Martin Seligman. If you read Martin Seligman, kind of the premier uh, professor and, and doctor or a PhD on the subject of human happiness, he speaks of if your outcome is happiness and the sense of fulfillment, you wouldn't want to do a four hour work week. We could put your brain under a scanner and you'll be much less happy. So whatever your goal is, if your goal is literally to free up tremendous amount of time so you can play video games or go salsa dancing across the world or something, we know what the end game of that is from a dopamine testosterone brain release. It's not what you think. So I think it's not, I can't tell people what they should do or do not, but I can be like, well, depending on what your outcome is, okay, or your outcome, you want your outcome to be, I can tell you whether you are, have what I call, uh, if you've struck what I call an ESS, ESS stands for evolutionary stable strategies. So it's not a stable strategy to, and Richard Dawkins speaks on this of uh, in his book, uh, The Selfish Gene, you know, you really want an ESS, you want to strike a deal that is stable. If you're sta- if part of your stability in life is for you to feel a high level of uh, happiness, then or fulfillment in the sense, then there's three levels of that. Martin Seligman says, he says there's the, uh, there's the pleasurable life. He said, that's the lowest level there is. And it doesn't work like people think. And then the second thing is that there is what's called a uh, authentic life. And then there's the meaningful life. And the last two are what, what most of us want. And those are where you push yourself to the extent, to as much as you can, you push yourself. And if you do it right, as you push yourself afterwards, as you look back, you experience this tremendous sense of fulfillment. So Michael Jordan, when he had to push himself and play his hardest, and then in the end he won, he is, he experienced at a literally at an enzymatic level. If you looked at the enzymes released by his genes, just talking to, Dr. Uh, Sharon Molum, the author of the best-selling book, Inheritance, who's one of the top leading experts on subjects of evolutionary, uh, our genes. And it's literally this concept of, you know, your genes are releasing enzymes. They're living, breathing. If your goal is for those to release those things that we, that we commonly call fulfillment and happiness, then you don't want to be in that process of trying to cut your time. You want to be like the Amish. They said, we're here to get things done. The Amish believed like the Bible said that man and women are here to work by the sweat of their brow. And that sweat of their brow is the release. That is the freedom that we seek. We're seeking. And again, it's a Hollywood thing. Hollywood shows you stories of this, that, and the other thing because they're trying to sell you something. They don't have your, they don't want to show you the truth. They don't care. I know. This party I just had in my had some of the biggest movie producers in the world there. They're friends of mine. I mean, they're good guys. They're not good or bad. They're just humans like everybody else. And when they're in business, they want to make money. So they're not going to show you the Amish story. Nobody wants that story or so they think. So they show you a story 
that gets them their end goal, which is sell movie tickets. It doesn't get us our end goal. So what, what, uh, I mean, that, that was, that was obviously one really good one, but I, I, when you, I mean, I, I'm still kind of hung up on this with the Amish. Like you, you obviously don't like go to a, a website and make an application to try to join the Amish. You, I mean, you, you, how does it work? What did it, you just showed up and got to work? Well, when I, they knew, so the Amish, like I said, they, they don't really take people from the outside that much or people don't try, but. They knew I knew Joel Salatin. At that point, I knew a lot about agriculture. It was one of my first businesses, uh, things I've been to 51 countries, studied, you know, cutting edge, sustainable agriculture. A lot of the Amish are interested in different forms of organic agriculture, this and that. And so I had that commonality with them. And then they trusted me because they trust Joel Salatin, most of them. So I wasn't just a fly by night person, wanderer off the street. So all those things added up. And, and, you know, I tell people, people are like, Ty, how have you been able to get different mentors, whether it's Joel Salatin or the Amish or a billionaire here, a billionaire? And I'm like, well, you'd be surprised what happens when you have the courage to ask. You know, it's I think it was uh, Alexander the Great has that quote. Let me see if I can find it where he says, uh, let's see, everything. Um, anyway, I'll find it in a second. But, but if you have the courage to just ask. You know, so I, I asked the Amish. I was so young there. I didn't even know that that was weird. <laughs> and so they were like, sure, come. And then it's again, it's like a sculpture in the sense that the first time I went there, I don't think that they were like, hey, come live here for two years. Oh, yeah. Alexander the Great. So there's nothing impossible to him who will try. I just tried. And it was that simple. And uh, and then it just evolved over time. And and I, I bought a little farm there and I showed him some things. And they learn from me and I learn from them. I learn from them about how to have stable social relationships. That's the real lesson. I mean, the work ethic is there, but the real, uh, I think, lesson that the Amish have for the world is how to create stable social connections. Without proper social connections, you know, really, if you look at the pillars I call, I did a TED talk and I talked about the four pillars of uh, the good life health, wealth, love, and, and uh, fulfillment or happiness. That third one is if you read Matt Lieberman's book, Social, the Harvard professor. Uh, and again, if you listen to guys like uh, um, uh, Jonathan Haidt, you see very clearly that the pattern that make we're a hive of animals. We must be in this hive. And in order to make that quote unquote hive work, you have to, be good at social, right? I mean, that's absolutely vital. You must be good at social. So the Amish taught me, how do you take a group of people, average Amish community, let's say you have a hundred families of eight, 10 people each, got a thousand people there. And how do you live in harmony with each other? Modern world, you know, we have all the amenities, but yet we're not really in harmony. Most people don't even have many friends. How do you have deep relationships with other humans? Uh, and and what the, and now in hindsight, I realized they had struck a very powerful ESS, an evolutionary stable strategy. That it's like rock solid. They even have methods. Not everybody always gets along, so they've already evolved a way for if you're in one Amish community and you don't get along, a way to move to another one. So they've it's a multiple five hundred year old tradition of how to live. And uh, I think none of us, you or I will ever be truly happy 
at many levels until we experience uh, a very social kind of stable environment. It's harder than you think. I'm, I'm absolutely um, the really specific question, but what time were you getting up usually when you were living with the Amish? Oh man, Amish get up. I'll tell you this. <laughs> First Amish, I showed up in Kentucky. I went and visited a group. They're actually Mennonites, but they're like, these are old order Mennonites, not like red or Mennonites. They're more like the Amish. So showed up in us, uh, Scottsville, Kentucky. So I'm there in this little community and uh, these are the most conservative of the most conservative. So I'm staying with this uh, Hoover was his last name and he was the grandpa. I stay with him and his wife. They were like 70 years old. And I got there in the afternoon, took a bus there, Greyhound. They take the Greyhound. They don't fly an airplane. So got in a Greyhound bus, I showed up at this community and, and I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm here. And they said, oh, come on in. We're just having dinner. So dinner time was like five. They ate dinner around five o'clock usually the Amish yet. So I grab, you know, I sit down and there was a big thing of raw milk. <laughs> and I remember going, uh, is this healthy for me to drink? And this guy, Noah Hoover, he, he's like 80 years old. He said, well, I'm 80 years old and I, I raised 12 kids on raw milk and they're all pretty strong. And I have about 80 grandkids and they all grew up on that. I was like, okay, that's good enough for me. So I drank the raw milk. Then uh, we finished eating, you know. Well, wait, what did what, you have the milk with? What was the meal? Uh, I mean, the Amish are very, very German. So it was like milk, meat and potatoes kind of uh -huh, thing. Okay. Just had milk on the table. Drank a lot of milk. And uh, they're very paleo in a certain sense, but yet they have carbs and stuff. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're very dairy oriented. A lot of Amish. I love dairy, man. I, I'm a big dairy fan in many ways. I think it's... Uh, it's a misunderstood food, but, um, so then it was, uh, we finished eating at six and whatever, six 30 or something. They're like time for bed. <laughs> they went to bed at seven. So I was there and there's no electricity. So it's very interesting what happens to the human body when there's no electricity. I recommend all people. I talk about this on Ben Greenfield. You know, I do business coaching for Ben Greenfield, but I also been on his, pod, his show a few times. And I said, man, try it. Turn off, just turn, go outside, turn the breakers off in your house. Okay. You don't have to do, do this once a month. Start it early, like at noon, turn the breakers off, get some food, read some books, spend time with your family, go out, do some stuff outside, have a garden, you know, and then just let the natural circadian rhythm start to kick in. And what will happen is you will feel yourself get tired. There's no light affecting the eyes. Just get some candles. You can buy uh, different websites. You can look at Amish websites, buy an Amish lantern, or you can just buy these different lanterns. Sometimes the Amish ones are dangerous because they're like have gas in them. So, or like kerosene, but just get some kind of lamps that, that have a, a natural light, which is basically the most natural light there is for humans. It's not what people think these complicated fluorescent lights. It's, it's flame, like a candle. <laughs> no, don't burn your house down. But you can get these little protectors. You the, the natural fireside, maybe if you have a fireplace in your house, turn it on and you'll find yourself getting tired around 6.30, 7 o'clock, depending, of course, where the latitude you're on and the, the, the season. And, and this, I remember 7 o'clock, I just went to bed and I just fell asleep, man. And I woke up here. I heard some people walking around and I looked at my clock watch and it was 3.30 in the morning. So I went back to bed. 
And then it was like, you see, I don't know if you ever had this happen when you spend the night at someone's house where you feel like you overslept because like you wake up and everybody's outside talking and walking around. And I remember jumping out of bed and I was like, oh no, it's my first night and my first morning here at the Amish. I'm going to look like this lazy guy. I know they value hard work and everybody's working. And I, I hear like wagons going by and kids playing outside. And I'm like, oh man, I totally ruined it. I jump up and I found my watch and it was 4.10 in the morning. <laughs> they were, and now they, they lived where it was like daylight savings. So the sun was starting to come up and I jumped out of bed and they ate at 4.30 in the morning. You'd have breakfast. And they had already done some chores before breakfast around 4, 4.30. You ate from, you know, whatever, 4.30 to 5. They had like prayers or read the Bible or whatever. And you were out working around 5 o'clock. By the time noon came around for lunch, you'd almost already worked eight hours. And then you you eat lunch and then you go back to work and they'd work from, you know, one to five. So basically, but I'll tell you, in terms of raw, the metric of just raw healthiness and feeling good, if you, I, I can tell you this from my experience, I don't know if it extrapolates into all people's lives, but if you wake up remotely groggy, you're not sleeping either enough or on the right circadian rhythm. Because when I remember, and I, I have, you know, sadly, I know this and I haven't followed through all my life, but I've done it in phases. When you go to bed at seven, you just wake up at four and you literally, it's as if you could instantly jog 500 miles. You're like instantly no grogginess. Just like, oh, I'm awake. You went to bed when the sun went down. You went, you woke up when the sun. So I tell people, we, it's going to be hard to recreate this in the modern world fully. You got, you know, things you got to do, but pick up fr- I think the best nights I've found is a Friday or a Saturday night and just go to bed super early, go to bed at six, recharge. We know the body has tremendous capacity like a camel to recharge and store water like a camel does. We can store sleep. So, you know, catch up. You will feel amazing. So that's my answer to that. That, I mean, it sounds like an amazing experience, honestly. And it's like, I think that takes digital detox to a new level. Um, so anyway, I, I want to be, I, I want to be respectful of your time. The, the last question that I, I always ask people on this podcast is what are the, the top three tips that you can share for, for being more effective? You know, and, and, and in my world, that really means getting more done and enjoying it. But you know, what, what are your, what are your kind of top three things for, for being more effective? Well, number one, I'm going to refer back to somebody who's smarter than me on this subject. There's a great book. Uh, if I don't know if I'm allowed to plug my website, but oh, I have please, one. no, no, we're going to put it all in the show notes anyway. But yes, absolutely. On, on my site, tylopez.com, I have just a, a, a book review where I review what I think are the top 100 or 200 most important books from number one down. I put them in order. And one of the top 10 or 20 books is a little book by Gary Keller. It's called The One Thing. And in there, he talks about the power of getting things done. And in his opinion, what makes you get things done is having focus on less things. So there's this concept that we're going to just optimize our life perfectly. And we're we're probably not is the good news and the bad news. So I think the first thing, you really got to be end goal oriented. And that end goal has to be maybe this is number two, but that end goal must be simple and just one thing. So I have one of my best friends. um, He makes a million dollars a day. He's one of the top businessmen in the world. He's he's in his early thirties, going to sell his company for a billion dollars. And he he has a PhD and and, uh, we're talking about 
something called multi-objective optimization, which means trying to optimize around many goals at once. And he said, you know, I got a PhD in it from Berkeley. And I, I think it's basically BS. I don't think you can do it. So I think single-mindedness. And then in order to do that, Gary Keller says, you must be willing to embrace the chaos because as you focus on one thing, there will be moments where you feel like, oh man, I'm letting things slip. But you are. And there is no alternative to letting something slip because the other alternative for not letting something slip, right, is ended up doing nothing. You don't want that either. So I, so you have really a choice, really accomplishing nothing well or embracing some of the chaos and single-mindedly focusing at one thing at a, on one thing at a time. So I, I'm a massive believer in this once I talk about this, if you go on my site, if you, I have this book a day club, I, you can join it for free. It's I think the biggest book club in the world besides Oprah's book club. And I read a book a day and I write, I don't always write an email every day, but I, I write a summary and, and as you're going through this process of focus, you need to come up, and maybe this is number three, you need to have a one-sentence destiny plan for each area in your life. And that becomes that single. So let's say you're very focused on, I don't know, health. Like you want to cut weight, you want to run a marathon, what it is. You need to be able to tell people in one sentence. And that one sentence, I wrote an article. It's on my site. It's called uh, The Balancer of the Brain. So this, this idea that you have, this simplicity that you have to your life, it must pass what I call my 96-year-old grandma's test. My grandma's 96. She's very smart still, but she doesn't like a lot of superficiality. So if you say to her, my goal in life is optimizing and leveraging technology so that I can, she would be like, I don't know what you're saying. Just say it simple. Be like, I want to run 50 miles without stopping. I want to make a million dollars. I want to find the love of my life and get married in the next 18 months. Just a simple goal that even my 96 year old grandma would understand. And then maybe this is the fourth. I don't know if I'm allowed to have four. You need to follow the seven step process. Science uses this and effective people use it. So it's instead of thinking about right or wrong, which is what I was talking about, the 500 year old archaic mind, use this seven step scientific methodology, which is Ask yourself a question. So the question is, what do I want to change about my body? What do I want to change about my bank account? Then do a little research on, you got a hunch, you know, I want to make money or I want to cut to 7% body fat. Do some research and then make a hypothesis. The hypothesis is that one single sentence goal that my 96-year-old grandma would understand. So it might be, you know, I want to, uh, my hypothesis is that by, cutting dairy, uh, cutting bread out of my diet, I'm going to get to 7% body fat. Then you go out and you simply test it. Now, there's no right or wrong. You're not thinking, is this right or wrong? You're saying, let me put it to the test. As you test, you observe with an open, changeable mind. Like they say about Charles Darwin, a famous uh, 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 professor, Meganson, wrote about Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. He said, it's not the smartest not the most intelligent, but it's the most adaptable and changeable to the changing environments that we find ourselves in. So as you're doing this and you're going, all right, I'm doing no, no bread, trying to cut to 7%. Observe. That's the next thing. People test, but forget to observe. And then as you observe with an open mind, that means 
literally no outcome wanted. You're just trying to say, is it working? I don't care. I'm not attached to this. It's not a pride ego thing. Then you step to the next stage, which is analysis, which is logical analysis. If for in this case of 7%, you like measure your body fat. Did I go down? Okay. I've been doing this for six weeks. Doesn't seem to have much of a dent. Then after analysis, this becomes the hard part. You must make war with a multitude of counselors. So one of the things I this is my long winded way of getting to this fourth one is you got to submit these things and make war with a multiple, you know, that's an ancient saying, make war with a multitude of counselors, download the wisest, smartest uh, people's uh, mentality, consciousness, both living and dead into your brain so that you can then use their frameworks and experience to analyze your test. And as you do, that's why I believe, you know, I read a book a day. That's why if you can't read a book a day, read a book a week. If you read a book a week, then read a book every three days. Just move forward with momentum. Time is an illusion. But as Stephen Hawking says, you know, three levels of time, thermodynamic, cosmological, and, uh, and psychological. And he says, unfortunately for all of us, they all move forward. So just make sure you're moving forward towards an end goal. And that once you go through that and you submit your analysis and observations of your test and your hypothesis and your research, then adapt and start over. Well, maybe it's not really bread. Maybe it's white bread, or maybe it's, if you eat a little bread, you actually feel better. So you're at the one slice a day is the place and then test that and continue to iterate and do it over and over single-minded focus. Once we said getting to 7%, Peter F. Drucker set an 18 month goal for this. If you do this, and you live long enough, you will accomplish a tremendous amount. This is a framework that is not mine. Uh, I do not purport to be, you know, people see me as a mentor often, but I try to move away from that because I, I don't, as I said in my TED talk, you know, I, I don't, my grandpa told me there's probably not one mentor. The world's too complex. You need a, a multitude of counselors. Don't listen to everybody. Drown out the noise of 99. My One of my mentors, Alan Nation said, Ty, secret of life is, Ignore 99 out of 100 people. But when you find that one person, listen to everything they say. So it's this refinement, this simplifying, this testing framework, removing black and white, you know, archaic thinking from your mind of going, oh, I failed on. There is no failure in the sense there is the, to me, the only failure is not moving forward cosmologically, thermodynamically and psychologically through time towards some outcome that you want and then modifying not being the strongest or the most intelligent, but being the most adaptable to the changing environment you find yourself. If you can master that that general concept that I just said, I know it's a lot of words, you will get much closer uh, and be more accurate in terms of forecasting and ending up where you want to be or where you choose to be. That's, I mean, I, there's such a great stuff here. This is, I, there's, it's pure like golden nuggets after golden nuggets. So thank you very much, Ty, for sharing all that. What, yeah, you mentioned it a couple of times, but where, where's the best place for people to find out more about you? And, and we're going to put this all in the show notes, but it, it, what's yeah. the best place? So the best thing, I do lots of things uh, that are in different places, social media and podcasts and stuff. The be- I just tell people, go to my website, tylopez.com. It's T-A-I-L-O-P-E-Z. I'm not related to Jennifer Lopez, but uh, it's a good way to remember my name, Ty. And then on the middle of the page, you can enter. Um, I have a enter your email, and you'll get on my book of the day thing. It's free, um, and it's good stuff in the sense if you like. I mean, some people might not like what I talk about, but if you 
like what I just talked about here, it's similar. I read a book a day and usually three or four times a week, I try to get something out. From there, you can see my podcast on iTunes uh, and you can see my Twitter. I do a lot on Twitter. If you want to talk to me, the two best places, a lot of people want to ask me questions uh, one-on-one, either at Ty Lopez on Twitter. I got a pretty big 160,000 Twitter followers, and I, but I'm able to, I like, it's short, so it's easy for me to respond there. You can also email me at tylopez.com. But the other way that's real effective is when you join tylopez.com, it'll give you a free account. And my site has a little inbox, a private inbox. So if you email me on the private inbox, I usually get to you. It Sometimes it takes me, I get thousands of emails, but uh, I usually am able to get to people within five days. So give me a little time. I'm also on Facebook and uh, oh, and YouTube. I'm starting to do a lot of stuff on YouTube. So it's Ty Lopez official or Facebook is Ty Lopez official. Instagram, if you want to see some of my lifestyle and the things that uh, some books, go to Instagram. It's uh, slash Ty Lopez and the number one. There you go. Awesome. Thank you, Ty. Website. You'll see links from my website. Yes. And again, we're going to put that all in the show notes. So Ty, thank you so much for your time. That was, that was really fun listening to and uh, all the best. Well, thank you. I hope it was helpful. Hey everyone. It's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group, as well as the Less Doing University, which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.